The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word. The Word is, is why we're coming together at this point. I want to believe God for something great. And every time we get into the Word, there's such a deep anticipation in me for something real and genuine and powerful to take place for each one of us. Now, I mentioned to the children when we came together and we were ministering to them, that we were going to examine God's love, the love of God. And that is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at several passages and, and several aspects of God's love and how uh, it applies to our lives. So what I want to do is give you a few things. If you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, you can write these things down. These are things that we're going to look forward to in the message. And then again, as you write things down, I want to encourage you to revisit them throughout the week because I know that God is speaking to you individually as well as to us as a body. So uh, the first thing that we're going to find when we get into the Word today is your identity. Your identity as a Christian. Now, that's a little bit of a stretch. It's really going to be more what identifies you as a Christian. But I think it's important for us to understand that. And honestly, identity is, is a hot topic in our culture and our society today. There are a lot of people who are really struggling to find their identity. And the world is, is very interested in guiding and directing them and identifying themselves leading them into all sorts of error. But God has given us a very simple and plain task to be identified as believers, to be identified as his sons and daughters, to be identified as the saints or as Christians, however you'd like to say it. We're going to find that early on in the message. A second thing we're going to find is why sin is bad. Why sin is bad. Now, we know sin is bad, right? I mean, I don't feel like I would be teaching you anything or that you would be learning anything if I were to say sin is bad. I don't know that many of us would sit up in our chair and say, what? I didn't know. But why it's bad? You know, I mean, I'm raising my sons, and there's all kinds of things that they do that they shouldn't, and, and rightfully so, they, they find themselves in a bit of trouble when they do those things. But if I raise them just to know that that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and I never take the time to teach them why it's wrong, then it's going to be really problematic for them to grow and know that I have their best interest in mind. Basically, they're going to grow and they're going to think that I just have a bunch of rules and that daddy's hard. It's hard to live with daddy. So as soon as I'm old enough, I'm gone, right? I'm out of here because those rules are really holding me back. But if I can teach them why those things are in place, then what they see is instead of being held back, what they see is, wow, he really loves me. And he's protecting me from this and this and this. And so we want to find out why sin is bad. I mean, we know sin is bad. But God hasn't set up a bunch of rules in order to hold us back. He's protecting us from a lot of destruction. We're going to find out what makes sin bad, why God cares about sin. So another thing we're going to find, this third thing as we move on, is we're going to find out a little something that I would go to refer to as the love test, right? Now, how many of you picture that little machine at a restaurant? You know, you squeeze the handle. You know, you know what I'm talking about, where you're like red hot, hot stuff, you know. And, you know, some of us, it's like, you cold. Yeah, well, it's not like that, okay? No, no quarters necessary. 
no barroom device necessary. We're going to see something in the scripture and we're going to be able to apply it to our life, to, to just test ourselves, to see, is the love of God present in my life right now? Is the love of God prevailing in my life right now? Is the love of God at the forefront and the priority of the things that I'm doing, thinking, seeing, saying, whatever? Is the love of God prevailing in my life? We're going to find out how to test that. So I want to get into the Word. I told you we're going to find out your identity. Let's start there. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 35. So the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35. Now we're pursuing our identity. We're, we're wanting to see what it is that identifies us as believers. You know, I could go to church my whole life and go to every prayer meeting and attend every special worship service and, and volunteer to do this and that and be on this list and all of these things. Those things are wonderful and they're, they're, they have purpose. But if we miss out on the purpose that those things have, we could miss out on Christianity in general and at large. So it's important for us to catch what's being spoken here in the Gospel of John. Again, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking to you and to me, and he says this, By this all men, now all men, all is absolute, right? It's not leaving anyone out. All men, so that's saying Christians, unbelievers, Buddhists, Muslims, I mean everybody, the Hindu, everybody. Everybody, all people, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. All men will know that you are disciples of Jesus Christ. If, now I just want you to say if. If is a really powerful word there. I mean, it's so powerful. It introduces what we would call a condition. It makes this statement a conditional statement. It's not automatic. Something has to happen. So all men are going to know that we're followers of Jesus Christ, that He's our Lord, our King, if, if you have love for one another. If we have love for one another, the entire world will see, not might see, not could see. I mean, the odds don't go up. It is going to happen. It is cause and effect. If we will have love for one another, then all men will know that we are the body of Christ. It's a necessity. It's not about having, you know, our big LED sign out front that flashes all of the events that we have that identify us as Christians. Well, I'm a Christian because I attend Sunday morning service, but then I go to the men's group, and then I go to Wednesday night, and I'm doing this thing on the side to, to help teach these kids, and I'm doing that, and I volunteer here and there. But the thing that we need to do is understand that it's not the doing the things. It's the what happens when we do those things that makes those things powerful and effective. The motivation must be love. The result must be love. For any of those things to be effective in any way, shape, or form for the kingdom of God. So that makes me want to identify what love is. I mean, I want to understand what it is so that I don't find myself just going through the motions of church. And by the way, there are some very serious warnings in the scripture that come from Jesus himself that this is really possible. Jesus is speaking about a situation of judgment. And he's talking to people who have, have done great things and he welcomes them into the promise of his Father, our Father. And then there's another group of people that Jesus says, I, I don't know you, I don't have anything to do with you. And those people offer this argument. 
And I'm paraphrasing it, but basically they're saying, hey, didn't we go to church? Didn't we volunteer? I mean, didn't we go and do all of that stuff? I mean, my name was on the calendar. I was on the rotation over there. What gives? So that tells me something. It's a warning. It means we can do all of the stuff and not have any of the effect or impact if we're missing the love of God as the motivation and the result of the things that we do. So it makes me want to understand and identify what that love is to just test my life to see if that love is present in the things that I do. I would hate to pastor and to lead a congregation for years and only to find that they'd been led just a few degrees off and therefore they'd miss the mark in the end. But we need to be a people of love. And for us to be a people of love, we're going to need to understand what love is. I want to tell you the cause and effect of love. The cause and effect of love. I would write that down in my notes if if I were taking notes. You don't have to, but the cause and effect of love. Because if I know the cause and the effect of love, I can begin to examine my life and I can see where love is present. I can begin to examine, examine, excuse me, my actions and see where love is present. I can begin to examine the church and, and identify where love is present if I know the cause and the effect of love. So I want to offer this passage of Scripture to you. I want to encourage you to take it down in your notes for the purpose of your own reflection. Because when you hear it, the danger is you're going to hear it and think that you've grasped it because it seems relatively simple. But though something can be relatively simple, it can also be highly complex. And to sit and to soak on it and to ask God to show it to you and reveal it to you in the fullness of its meaning Oh, would be a wonderful and powerful moment between you and God. So therefore, your notes you can take down Deuteronomy chapter 23. I want to look at verse 5. Deuteronomy 23 verse 5. And here's what Deuteronomy 23 verse 5 reveals to us. The Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. I mean, it really sounds simple, right? It's it's so simple that you could take that passage and introduce it to the children's church upstairs and it could be their memory verse. It probably ought to be one. I think it's a really powerful verse. There doesn't seem to be a lot of moving parts there, but this little sentence, this small passage, holds so much of the heart of God. In fact, it could hold the fullness of the heart of God in this passage. That the results of God's love for you, God's love being the cause. You notice the word because in there? Because. God turned the blessing into a curse because God loves you. That's revealing the cause for all of this transformation from cursing to blessing. The cause is His love for you. The effect is the freedom from curse. And not just the freedom from curse, but the introduction into blessing. The deliverance from curse and the impartation of blessing into our lives. Doesn't that make you want to pursue with all of your heart the love of God? To know that the love of God being embraced and bestowed upon our lives is this wonderful and powerful cause that produces this incredible effect 
Freedom from bondage, affliction, and all the results of cursing. And release into the fullness of blessing. I mean, that's really what makes words like the words of Jesus so powerful. The words that Jesus spoke in John 15, 13, when he told us, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. It makes those words really powerful. We're seeing this manifestation of love, knowing full well what the love of God produces. Based on what we read in Deuteronomy, the Word of God produces freedom from the curse and release into blessing. It's more than just someone saying, hey, listen, I know you're in it deep and there's no way out. So listen, I got good news for you. I'm going to take the whip for you. I'm going to take the punishment for you. That's just getting rid of the curse, right? But there's more to it than this. I'm going to take the whip for you. And I'm going to take all of the destruction and the wrath that's stored up for you. And then I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to see to it that you're lifted high. It makes passages that we read in the scripture come to life. I mean, ideas like that we are seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. It makes those things become so powerful and real that it's more than just escaping wrath and judgment, but it's escaping wrath and judgment and then being elevated to the highest of heights. And I've often said that there's one of the reasons why Satan hates the worship of Jesus. Because the higher Jesus is lifted, the higher I'm lifted with Him. The higher Jesus is lifted, the higher you're lifted with Him. He's sharing His seat with you. We're one, united all by the work that He's done. And that work that He's done is the manifestation of God's love that separates us from curse and releases us into the fullness of blessing. And then we have this. I want to encourage you to take this down. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. To come to a place where we realize the cause and the effect of love, God's love in our life causes the following effect, separation from the curse and release into the blessing. We see this in Ephesians, and it should ring out clear as a bell to each one of us that there's a powerful call and a wonderful anointing on each one of us as we've received the love of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you realize we're called to imitate that? I pause there for a couple of reasons. One, because honestly, I'm at a loss for words. Two, because it is a weighty thing to consider. 
that this love that is so powerful, when it's present, the effects of this presence separate from curse and introduce into blessing. And then I'm told in the scripture, because of the power and the work of Jesus Christ in my life, I have that same calling. I'm called to imitate that work of God in everything that I do. Which is going to require me to reveal the love of God to individuals that are suffering and in need. To reveal the love of God to those who are in bondage and affliction. To reveal the love of God to those who are mired in the curse. For the purpose of God's love to come into full fruition, that they would be separated from that curse and loosed into the fullness of blessing. I want to give you a passage of Scripture to reveal how powerful and how important and the priority of God's love needs to be in our lives. I want you to take it down in your notes, if you're willing. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 37 through 40. But I want to tell you what's going on here. And I want to encourage you to Utilize your imagination. I believe that God gave us an imagination for wonderful and powerful reasons. Not to be abused, but to be utilized. And using your imagination, as I read the scripture, oftentimes I'll try to put myself in the room, somewhere in the room. So in this instance, we see Jesus, and Jesus is in a room where there's, it's crowded. Many people have come to hear, and some people are there because they're hungry and they're desperate to receive from Jesus what he has. And then there's others who are there that want to elevate themselves, and they have made it their mission to challenge Jesus with such a challenge that he couldn't give an answer. And in this room, you can just imagine the noises. And if you've ever been anywhere that didn't know air conditioning, you can imagine the smells. It'd be a bit on the musty side. And as the room is packing and gathering, you know, you're looking up and thinking, we can't fit another person in here, but they are still coming in. That I can't move anymore. I'm stuffed against the wall. And they're still coming in. And you can hear the chatter, just the white noise in the background as people are gathering saying, I can't see him. Can you see him? I don't know. Is he there? Are we in the right room? I know he's here. Why would there be this many people here? Can you see him? Can you see him? And then all of this this chaos and this anticipation comes to a hush. As someone moved with, with pride and arrogance stands and clears their throat to gather attention to themselves, And they begin to challenge Jesus with all eyes on them. And they challenge him with questions concerning the resurrection. And Jesus gives answers that are so profoundly simple and so right and accurate that they can not be argued against. And he silences those who are coming to challenge him. 
And don't you know the white noise comes in again where the whisper is in, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he told that man? Did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? And it's passing back through the room like the wave in a stadium. And then all of that white noise is hushed again as another stands and clears his throat, <clears throat> gathering all eyes to himself, desiring to be seen, challenging Jesus once again. And his question was, which one of the commandments is the greatest? I like to think there was a pause there. Because I know Jesus doesn't have an ounce of insecurity. There's no eagerness to give a quick answer. And he's not surprised by the wisdom of God that would flow from his mouth. So his nerves are calm and steady. In a room that was so restless with noise and so crowded, all of a sudden would feel so hollow as that question hangs in the air. I'm not even sure if Jesus would stand to give his answer. But that with compassion, not out of a spirit of contention or debate, but with love and mercy in his eyes, he would look at the one who challenged him and he would offer this answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And upon saying that, I could hear the white noise start to rise up and then immediately be silenced because he wasn't finished. And the second is like it. And all of a sudden, hush. What did he say? Did you hear that? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it is on these two commandments, the whole of the law and the whole of the prophets depends. It's on these two commandments that every word that God speaks is founded upon. And I don't think the white noise rose. I think it thundered. I think when people heard these words, they could not contain themselves. And immediately, the roar of the crowd in celebration at the words that Jesus would say in response to this challenge drowned out that challenge and every challenge that was to come afterward. Because when you read a few verses down, it said from that day on, nobody questioned him. I think that was a powerful moment where God affirmed His Son in the presence of religion, in the presence of all that would desire to see Him destroyed as the fullness of wisdom. And the absolute of the voice of God.
So now I'm challenged with this. When I see that Jesus would reveal that, when I see that He would silence all the challengers with those words, when those words could be spoken and it could put every critic to silence, every challenger to silence, it could silence them all. I come to a place where I say, Father, I want to know those words. I want to understand those words. I want those words to define who I am. I want the fullness of their effect to be upon my life and released through all that I am. So what does it mean for me to love my neighbor? To be identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ? To have love for one another. What does that mean? Because I have no problem or no issue memorizing that. My concern is, can I practice it? Can I make it a reality in my life? What does it mean for me to love my neighbor? When Jesus spoke those commandments, when he put all of the critics when he shut all of their mouths and put them to silence, he said that these two commandments were the foundation for all of the Word of God. He says that in another place. If you want to take it down for your notes, I would strongly encourage that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's another place where Jesus speaks of something as being the foundation for all of the law and all of the prophets. My home is a single home. It's one home. And that one home has one foundation. So when Jesus is talking about that one foundation, He must be speaking of the same house. Where before He's speaking of the law and the prophets, here He's speaking of the same law and the same prophets. Whereas before He's speaking about honoring God, putting God first, and loving your neighbor as yourself, here He's saying the same thing, but in different words. And it's here that we get what the world would call the golden rule. It's not a Chinese proverb. It's the words of Jesus Christ. Where He would say, however you want others to treat you, so you should treat them. And on this hang the law and the prophets. Wow. So as it concerns loving my neighbor, I need to consider what would I want my neighbor to do for me? And then it's that that I should do for them. I want to give you a passage of scripture that I personally believe defines loving your neighbor. And when I... Hear Jesus making that declaration. When I hear Jesus silencing all of those who are bringing challenge to Him with that second commandment that's just like the first and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I believe that he knows those in the room are familiar with what he's referring to. Referring to the book of Leviticus. In chapter 19, verse 18. Now obviously those chapters and verses are something that we have to celebrate. But I believe all of those in the room knew exactly what he was referring to when he silenced them and said, hey, the second is like the first. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, it reads like this. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. In order for me to love my neighbor, I need to see that my life is not given to vengeance and grudges. In order for me to fulfill what Jesus has said is as potent, as powerful, as prioritized as the very first commandment to love God with all that I am. I have to be a man that does not vindicate himself. That doesn't have his feelings hurt or his things stolen from him and desire to go and pay back evil for evil. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when we can come into that understanding of love and what love would mean, it helps us. If I were to break down that passage in Leviticus, you would come to some conclusions. We're forced to come to some conclusions. If the command is for me to love my neighbor as myself, and that means I can't hold a grudge or I can't take revenge on him, what does that mean? It means he's wronged me. It means he's hurt me. It means he's rejected me. It means he's slandered me. It means he's done something to me. Or else why would there be any need for me to lay down my desire for revenge? For me to lay down the bitterness and the grudge? For me to walk away from that offense? And to exercise the love that Jesus says is a priority? When we can let our minds take in what God is speaking in Leviticus and through His commandments... It causes the words of Jesus to make perfect sense and to be perfect in their instruction when He speaks to us a commandment in John 13. And I'd like for you to write it down. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus speaks this, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. The greatest issue that my carnal flesh has with that passage is revealed in these words. Even as I have loved you. 
I'm immediately confronted with how he's loved me. That he loved me when I hated him. He loved me when I slandered him. He loved me when I rejected him. He loved me when I was ungrateful. He loved me when I was ugly and malicious. He loved me when I was his enemy. And when I hear his command that that's how I'm to go in love, the weight of that causes me to pause. And I'm confronted with this, that I have no option or choice but to rebel if I don't embrace it. There's no way around it. There's no loophole. There's no opportunity to be his follower, to be called by his name, to move in his spirit or operate in his authority and work around this command. Rather, it's absolute and it's necessary. We can have no love for one another unless that love be the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. The love that we're called to have for our neighbor that causes us to loose any tie or hold that we would claim to vengeance or vindication. The letting go of all bitterness and grudge. I mentioned that we were going to find out why sin is bad and I want to do that. To do that, though, we need to look at a verse. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It's a short verse, but it's going to reveal to us a fact that we need to have revealed to us as we move forward. First John chapter 3, verse 4. It reads like this. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Now I know that you're writing and some of you may still be turning and that's okay. But sin is lawlessness. I'd like to say that all together. Are you ready? Sin is lawlessness. It is. And it's when we can have that established in our minds and in our hearts, we can find why sin is so bad. Why God despises sin. Now the fact that He's just is why sin must be atoned for. It's why Jesus had to go to the cross. There was no other way. Without there being some atoning work, God becomes unjust. And He can't do that. Because He can't change. That's why Jesus had to suffer in our place. But as I consider why God despises sin, I'm confronted with what we're about to read. Not simply because He's just, but more because He loves you. I've wrestled with this before. I became a Christian, I became a believer. I was set free from addictions and bondages that were destroying my life. And I knew that as the scripture promised, the changes that I had felt in my life guaranteed and assured that my name was recorded in the Lamb's book of life. That, that I was born again, a new creature, old things were gone and new things came. And as I began to read the scripture, I saw a conflict that occurs in the young believer, the new believer, and maybe just the believer in general's life. 
As Paul would begin to write about forgiveness, that forgiveness is not meant to be abused. It's not meant to green light carnality and sin. It's not meant to be given so that it can be celebrated and utilized through its exercise and atoning for rebellious decisions and choices. And I wrestled with that in my mind. I thought, Father, you've forgiven all of my sins, past, present, and future. But yet all of your word is to lead me out of sin and into righteousness. Why is sin still an issue? If it's all forgiven, why in the world is the devil still tempting me? If he knows that no matter what I do, your love, your grace, your mercy, the work of the blood of Jesus is so powerful that that atoning work will cover. Why in the world am I still suffering temptation? Doesn't Satan know? That I'm yours, bought and paid for. My name is recorded. Why is sin still an issue? And I think as we read this passage, we'll see why. We'll see why believers continue to face temptation. We'll see why God is concerned about issues of sin in our life. And remember what we just declared out of 1 John. That everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I'd like for you to take this down in your notes. We're going to find out why sin is bad, and here's where we're going to find it. Matthew chapter 24. I want us to read verses 12 and 13. Jesus is speaking and he's speaking to us. And he's issuing a warning. And you have to understand that Jesus Christ has never suffered a panic attack in his life. The urgency that's in his voice is strictly founded upon his compassion, his care and his concern for our well-being. But he's revealing to us a warning. Concerning the days to come, the days that we now live in. And he says this, because lawlessness, or sin, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he'll be saved. That's why God is concerned about sin in our lives. Sure, I'm bought by the blood. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. I'm atoned for. But if sin grabs a hold of me, my love will grow cold. And if my love will grow cold, I cannot love my neighbor. And if I cannot love my neighbor, I cannot love one another. And if I cannot love one another, all is lost. God is dealing with our sin issues. Not because he's stuck on rules and regulations. But because he's prioritizing the love that he's called us to. To be celebrated and embraced and released with the same fervency as our King Jesus. I want to give you a passage of scripture as we begin to close this morning. It comes from the book of 2 Peter. 
It comes from chapter 1, and I want us to see verses 5 through 7. And as we look at these, I want you to consider the warning that Jesus gave. When sin is embraced in your life, when sin is allowed to multiply in your life, the result will be your love will grow cold. Now from 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 5. Now for this reason also apply all diligence. Apply diligence in your faith to supply moral excellence. And then in moral excellence supply knowledge. And in knowledge supply self-control. And in self-control supply perseverance. And in perseverance supply godliness or reverence. And in your godliness supply brotherly love. That's love for one another. And then in your brotherly love, supply love. The love of Jesus Christ, the love of God. That perfect love. You see these things as steps beginning with moral excellence and ending with the love of God in our lives. I want to say these things that lead up to love, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness. When those things are compromised in our lives, they're compromised by sin. The only way I can compromise moral excellence is to sin. The only way that I can compromise the instruction or the knowledge of God is to reject it in rebellion. The only way that I can compromise self-control is to give to temptation. And the only way that I can compromise perseverance is to give up and be overcome. The only way that I can compromise reverence is to bow my knee to another. The only way that I can compromise brotherly kindness is to be selfish. That's why there's a sinful attack on the saints. To tempt us, even though our names are recorded, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. To bring compromise into our lives, to make our love grow cold. Because when our love grows cold, we have no fellowship. And when we have no fellowship, there's no authority or power in the church. God has established the local body to be the fountainhead for his authority and power to spill out onto the surrounding areas and the nations. I told you we were going to find a test, the love test. I want us to examine that now. Because I know if I fail this test, if I, if I don't pass this test, if there's an absence of God's love in my life, I can be aware that that is an indicator that there's some breach, some breach in my moral excellence or some breach 
in the knowledge of God, some element of His command that I've rejected, or there's some breach in my self-control, some breach in perseverance, or a breach in reverence, or some breach in the fellowship, the brotherly kindness that I'm called to function and operate in as a Christian. God's given us a wonderful thing that we can examine ourselves by. I'd like for you to take it down in your notes. We're going to read from the book of 1 John. We're going to look in chapter 4. First John chapter 4. I want to read the verses 16 through 18. It reads like this. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. Now verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's the test. When I find myself in a state of fear. When I find myself being afraid, no matter what the situation or the circumstance, when fear is overwhelming my thoughts and prevailing in my attitude or directing or dictating my actions, I'm aware that in that situation or that circumstance, the perfect love of God is not in charge. And we can test ourselves in these things, not for the sake of being humiliated or shamed, but for the sake of identifying points of weakness to receive the strength that God has poured out into us through Jesus, the perfect manifestation of His unconditional love for each one of us. And I know that I would share this personally in common with many of you here. That there's a number of times where fear has prevailed in my heart or my mind. Or situations and circumstances have overwhelmed me. Where those things, through their emptiness or their deception, through their voice of destruction, would lead me to make choices or decisions that were compromised. And ultimately, lead to failure. But when we can be situated, settled, stabilized and secured by the perfect love of God, 
that leaves no room for fear to corrupt the decisions that we would make, leading us into bondage and sin and affliction. We can walk in perfection. Because the word promises this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 8, that love never fails. Love never fails. Any element in my life that I would look back upon, whether I would be right or wrong in doing so, and I would define as a failure, was never an issue of situation or circumstance. Rather, it was an issue of love. For me and for you today, to prioritize the love of God, meaning releasing all desire to vindicate or to preserve our reputation, but to lay those things down and to be free from the, the urge to operate in bitterness or grudge, opens up the door for us to know the fellowship that God has richly made available to us in Christ. To celebrate and to function as the body of Christ, operating in the authority of Jesus Christ, in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it leads us to a place where the love of God that guides the way, brings success in every venture that he would lead us into. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.